Amen. You can be seated. I absolutely love that song. I'll never forget the first time. Um, I, I think it was Becca sent me a link to it. She said, listen to this song. I listened to this song, and it's like, oh, great. They're going to sing this. I'm going to cry through the whole thing. And then I'm going to get up and talk. Um, but how amazing to know that. Um, and if you knew me better, it would be even more amazing to you that I'm a child of God. And in my father's house, there's a place for me. There's a place for you. That's actually what we're talking about um, in this little series we're doing on heaven. Just to, We want to do it on a regular enough basis to, to keep us focused on that because that's what we're supposed to do. Last week we started looking, remember, at the six basic questions, the five W's and the H, who, what, when, where, why, how. Okay? Um, if you didn't hear that, it's online. Go back, listen to it. There's probably some CDs back there. Last week we saw a little of the who and the why and the how. Um, in the who, we saw that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is there. Angels are there. All of those who have made reservations are there, which I'm hoping includes you, um, whose names are in the book of life. We touched on the why. There'll continue to be more on that as we go along. When we talked about the how, we saw it was not about being good enough. It's not just about being good enough. Remember the good o meter that it has nothing to do with being good enough. The only way to heaven is by grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is, there is one way. There is one path. There, was, there is one road. And that's it. I've been reminded of that 50 times in the last couple weeks. As I turn onto Hillside and head west to get on 35 <laughs> and realize you can't get there from here. <laughs> And there is only one road, and this isn't it. And I have to turn around in Walmart. I'm sure on the security cameras, they're wondering, what is that guy doing? He just pulls in the parking lot, turns around, and leaves. It's like, because I was going to 35, and you can't get there from here. There's also only one road to heaven. And a lot of people say, oh, it's, you just have to be sincere, you know? You can be sincerely wrong. There is only one way. This week, um, we're going to look at a little bit of the, the when and the where, because I want to help you think about heaven more, but I don't want it to just be, let's make something up that's, that's cool that you think about. I want it to be real. I want you to think about heaven more based on what the Bible says. Um, and, and, and some people still ask, are we really supposed to think about heaven? Because we're here, we, we have stuff to do here. When Jesus said to us, I'm going there to heaven, to prepare a place for you. I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you'll be where I am. We, we looked at the fact that he spoke as the groom to his bride-to-be. Remember week one? These are words of love and romance. How would any bride who loves her husband-to-be respond to them? She would be thrilled. Not a single day would go by. Not a single hour would go by that the bride wouldn't anticipate joining her beloved in that place he prepared for her to live with him. She would think about it all the time. And like a bride's dreams of sharing her home with the, sharing home with the groom, our love for heaven should be overflowing and contagious, just like our love for God. Because our passion for God and our passion for heaven should be inseparable. What I've discovered is the more I learn about God, the more excited I get about heaven. And the more I learn about heaven, the more excited I get about God. Remember, 
as the scripture commands us in Colossians 3, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's where we're supposed to focus, is there. So, heaven. I'm going to heaven when I die. Where is that? Some would say, up. (laughs) Safe answer. Where is it? How long? For how long is it? Is the location eternal? Because it's eternal life. Has it always been the same? Has it always been the same place? Will it always be the same place? I struggled a little bit with timeline um, of history and prophecy because I do not want to get bogged down in, in details, surrounding details that have many opinions that can get in the way of the big picture. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to have just enough timeline without getting all bogged down in things that don't necessarily matter for us in order to understand this. So are you ready? Buckle up, I guess. It, I'm not going to put all the verses on the screen today. Um, some of them are, will be there. Some of them are extended passages, and I just want you to listen and kind of get the big picture, the overall landscape, sweeping panorama kind of stuff. Um, and if I'm saying a reference, um, there's a spot in your worship folder with a big blank. You can jot down some of the references if you want to look at them later, and that reminds me. If today, during this series, or any time, I say something that you don't agree with, that's great. As long as you dig into the Bible to come up with your answer and find your answer here. Because it's never about what I think. It's never about what you think. It's about what we believe God's word says. That's our source of confirmation. That's our source of information is God's word. We're going to see four different, and it's going to sound weird, four different heavens. Actually, probably more accurately, four different locations. It may be obvious to many of you. You may have never heard this before. Um, Real quick here, we're going to look at um, these locations. The first one is, is Hades. Um, The second one is paradise. The third is the millennial kingdom. And the fourth is the eternal heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. So let me set the stage for this. Here's how I want you to remember this. The first heaven involves Old Testament saints up to the cross. So until Jesus died on a cross, buried, rose again for our sins, until that time, everything before that, we'll have that be the the drum end of the stage. This This is that part where the Old Testament saints all of the people before Christ, that's, that's where they're going to be. And I know many of you are thinking, wait, what? what? I thought you said he, that heaven was our eternal home. Now you're saying that it changes? Hang with me. We're going to see what the Bible says about it. I know there are people who think we can't know. There's just, it's, it's just beyond us. I've had many people use Bible verses to show me that we can't know about heaven. For instance, a verse I hear all the time comes from 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. It says this. However, it is written, um, it says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And they look at that and they say, See, that's heaven. We can't know It's beyond us. We can't... They forget that's not the end of the sentence. Read the rest of the sentence in 2 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. It says, 
those things that God has prepared for those. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Later, he explains it's through the written word. He's not saying you can't know this. He's saying you couldn't know it unless I revealed it to you because you can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't you can't fathom it like that, but I have revealed some of it to you. Other verses are often pulled out of context to kind of stifle discussions and talk about heaven. One, another one I hear all the time is Deuteronomy 29, 29. I'm sure you've heard this. The secret things belong to the Lord. In other words, stop talking about this. Heaven's a secret thing. Again, finish the verse. The secret things belong to the Lord. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. You see, there are secret things. We have to accept that there are many things about heaven that are secret. God has bazillions of surprises for us in store. But as far as the things God has revealed to us about heaven, those things that says belong to us, They belong to our children forever. That means we should be thinking about them and talking about them and sharing them with our children. They need to understand how exciting that is and what's coming. It's extremely important that we study and understand them because that's exactly why God revealed them to us. All those bits and pieces about heaven. When heaven is thought of as beyond the, the reach of our senses, it doesn't invite us. Then it alienates us. It can even frighten us. I remember as a kid, I was scared about heaven because of the way they described it. It's like, <laughs> I'm not going there. That sounds scary. You know, our misguided attempts to make heaven sound spiritual, you know, as in like non-physical, they only succeed in making heaven sound unappealing. And that's not something we want to think about all the time. Remember, the Bible doesn't give us a complete picture of heaven. You know, from here to here, everything you need to know about heaven, it doesn't do that, but it does give us a taste we get a a taste, we get a glimpse, a small picture of some of the wonder and some of the glory of it. I tried to think of a way to explain this. A little bit of heaven in this bag here. You see, some things, many things on earth that we really like, what they are is they are a glimpse of heaven. For instance... This is a fun size Hershey bar. For some of you, it's like, yeah, take it or leave it. For some of us, this is a little taste of heaven. But this is just a little taste of heaven. And that's what we want to have, is we want to have a little taste of heaven. Can I see hands? Don't want to forget you guys. Keep your eyes open. I don't want anybody having an accident. (laughs) See, this, this, next time you see this, I want you to think of heaven. And this is like, this is like a little taste of heaven. This isn't, don't do that, don't do that. No, 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 no. I'll ask for it, I'll ask for it. You guys forget 99% of what I do and say up here. That you won't forget, will you? Okay. 
The next time you see one of these, I want you to think about that, that this is like a little taste of heaven. But you know what this does? This just reminds us that there's a full size. I'm seeing some of you getting ready to put your hands up right now. Who really wants this? Jerry Jerry does. Everybody be, there's there's a thing right there. Nope. See, what, it, what these little things do is these remind us that there's something bigger coming and we see that full-size candy bar and we say, oh, yes. But you know what? <laughs> it's more than we could ever imagine. This is for Kathy. It was her birthday. Don't. You see me giving this him, it's for you. You see... It reminds us that there's far more to come, but it gives us that little taste, and that's good. Now you can put that picture up. I absolutely love this picture. You can go to the Hershey place, the Hershey factory, and you can get the world's largest Hershey bar. It's five pounds. If you eat it, you gain 45 pounds. I would have loved to be there when that kid woke up. Because that's, that's what I'm going to be like when I open my eyes in heaven. I'm going to have been thinking of this, and as cool and as good as that was, then I'll think, oh, but God has that big full size for me. And then I'll think, oh, that giant size. But it's nothing in comparison to what he has for us. But if we don't take the little glimpses, we never think about anything else. We start to think about this world that has all of its brokenness and disappointment. Instead of seeing the glimpses that he has for us. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at past, present, and future heaven. And if you've never heard that said before, you're thinking, what in the world is going on? Just hang loose. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about this. I'm going to use three words today, words you've probably heard, but maybe not in this context. The first word is Hades. This is not the Disney guy, the blue guy from the Disney movie, okay? It's like not the Greek mythology thing. Hades The literal meaning of the word is that which is out of sight. Put this down here and make it out of sight. Out of sight, out of mind, right? (laughs) Just in case. This is, Hades is a Greek word that's used, um, it it was used to indicate the, the state or the place of the dead. All the dead, all the dead go to this place. So to be buried, to go down to the grave, to descend into Hades, when it uses any of those phrases in Scripture, those are all equivalent expressions. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, this word is the usual translation of the Hebrew word Sheol, which is the grave. It's the common, uh, the common abode of all the departed. When you die, that's where you go. Now, some of you are thinking, wait, wait, you're saying everybody goes to the same place? The the good, the bad, the saved, the unsaved, everybody goes to the same place? No, there's more than that. Jesus told a story. It can, you can look at it as a literal story, which I, I do because he actually names one of the people in the story. You can also look at it as a parable. It really doesn't matter because the point of it is to teach truth. So, it'll give us a picture of Hades 
that we can understand. It'll also give us the picture of Hades that the people Jesus was telling the story to understood. This is how they understood it. So just listen as I read from Luke 19, or Luke 16, excuse me, starting in verse 19. Jesus said this, There was a certain rich man. He was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, and he lived every day in luxury. So you get the picture. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. It's another Lazarus, okay? But there was this guy at the gate, poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. So you get the picture, okay? Extremes going on here. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And his soul went to the place of the dead. Now, you need to understand, Lazarus didn't go to be with Abraham, and the rich man didn't go to to the place of the dead, where it says, they're in torment. He saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. He didn't go to that bad place because he was rich. He went there because he had not repented. And believed in Jesus. It tells us that later. Um, And by the way, this is from the New Living Translation. I I, I like the New Living Translation to that. I don't like reading this from the King James. Especially when there's junior high guys in the room. Because it says he saw um, Abraham far off, the, the rich guy who dies in torment. He sees Abraham far off and he sees Lazarus in his bosom. And you can't say that word to junior high guys without <coughs> snickering and laughing, erupting. I like at his side way better. Gives us the same idea, but he's at his side. So you get the picture. The rich man is here in torment, and he's looking. It says he looks in the far distance, and he sees Abraham and Lazarus at his side. And the rich man shouts, Father Abraham. So the, the guy's Jewish, but he's not where he needs to be. The rich man shouts, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Tongue, I'm in anguish in these flames. He said, even that, just a little bit of reprieve. And Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing? So now he's here being comforted and you're in anguish. Again, that's not the reason they're in those places, but he's just describing here's, here's where we're at now. And he said, and besides, Abraham says, there's a great chasm separating us. So they're in the same place. They're in Hades. They're in the grave. They're in a place you don't see. They're in a place everybody goes when they die. But there's this great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross to us from there. We can't cross this divide. So it's the same place, but there's a big divide between it. There's a place that's called Abraham's side that's good where people have repented go. And there's the other side where people who haven't repented go that they are in torment. And so the rich man then said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. So he says, send Lazarus back to tell them. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. He's saying, you have the Bible. They can read what was written. It's there. The answer is there. The way is there, he said. And the rich man replies, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. 
And it's funny, Abraham says, it's not funny, it's sad. Abraham says, and remember, this is a story Jesus is telling to people shortly before he's going to be crucified. He says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they won't listen to what it says in God's word, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead, which they don't. One of the main things I want you to understand about Hades is that it is temporary in nature. There's not a ton we know about it. You know, we know that the bad side involves torment. That's described throughout the New Testament. The good side, um, the, the brief things we know are really from here that it's, you, you might be carried by angels there. At least Lazarus was. We know that you're awake there because he was awake. We know that you recognize people. And this is fascinating. The rich guy recognized Lazarus. He recognized Abraham too. He had never met Abraham. That was, you know, 1,500 years before him. But yet he recognized Abraham. So we recognize people there. Um, We know that we are comforted there. There seems to be physical bodies. They talk about dipping your finger in water and cooling my tongue. So there is a physical aspect of it. At the moment, that's, that's kind of what we know about it, especially from this passage. Hades, as we said, it's just temporary. People suffering there... Uh, on that bad side where the rich guy was, again, not because he was rich, but because he hadn't repented, people suffering there are resurrected one day, and they and death and Hades are all, according to Revelation 20, thrown into the lake of fire. So they're in the bad place until resurrection where they are judged and then thrown into the lake of fire. It is eternal. Revelation 1.18 actually tells us Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades. So if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, which is our choice now, you, don't choo- you can't choose that then. This is the life we choose that in. Then if you don't know him, then unfortunately when you die, you will go to the bad side of Hades. For all practical purposes, hell. Call it the same thing because the, the, the results are the same. Because there is a judgment that happens when we die. It says in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, And just as each person is destined to die once, we're all going to die once, and after that comes judgment, so you die, then there's judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. What that means is it's pretty important for us to understand there is no second chance after death. It, it's, it's now. Now is when we make the decision. There's no second chance for any of us. We face judgment at death. Everybody does. Now, when you die, it's a judgment of faith. Heaven or hell, that's the judgment. Later, there will be a final judgment of works. For us, the final judgment is about reward, not salvation, because that's already secured by Jesus. Rewards are conditional, dependent on our faithfulness. And we'll look at that later. So we have Hades, the place of the dead. It has a bad side and a good side. So track with me here. We talked about this last week. Until Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, people on the good side of that were waiting. Because from our perspective, their future needed to be made secure and safe. People have always been saved the same way. There is now and always has been only one way of salvation, Jesus. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, trusting that he died for your sins on the cross 2,000 years ago. We look back and have faith and trust in him for that. 
before he died, people are still saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Faith that he, the Messiah, would come and die for their sins. We look back, they look forward. Does that make sense? So when Jesus died for us and was buried in the tomb, his body was in the tomb. He was not. Where was he? You could say he was in the place of the dead, Hades, because that's where you go when you die. Now, there's a lot of different opinions about this, and I won't get into it all. Many of you have heard, um, you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed? One of the lines in the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus descended into hell. And the first time I read that, it was like, whoa, it's talking about Hades. He descended into Hades, and many believe he went to those people on the good side at Abraham's side, like where Lazarus was, to show them the certainty and the security of their future because of their faith in him, to rescue them from there. So the good side of of Hades, Abraham's side, that's described by our second word today. First word is Hades, second word is paradise. Now, I like that word. What comes to mind when you think of the word paradise? Paradise is actually a Persian word And the literal meaning is pleasure ground. It's park or king's garden. And because of that word picture, throughout history, it came to be used as the name for the world of happiness and rest in the hereafter. Just paradise. Jesus told the thief on the cross beside him in Luke 23, Jesus said to him, remember, I assure you today you'll be with me in paradise. They were both going to die. And Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. That meant the thief was going to be in paradise, and it meant Jesus was going to be there because he said, you'll be with me there. It's also spoken of in Revelation. Revelation 2, it says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life. The tree of life was in the Garden of Eden, another garden. But it says, I will give you fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. And I think, that means I get to see the tree of life from the Garden of Eden. How cool is that? I'm guessing it's going to be pretty big by now. That's just cool. I love the feeling that that word evokes. Paradise, park, king's garden, this amazing place. So, drum end is the first heaven. And I know some of you are thinking, you really like drums, and that's like heaven. Some of you are thinking, no, that's kind of not what I'm thinking. (laughs) It doesn't matter. That's a whole other story we'll talk about someday. Jesus rescued those people from there that were on Abraham's side of it, and that place is now paradise. That's the intermediate heaven. He took them from there, and that that is now paradise. Same place he said to the thief. We're going to say the base side right here, where the base is, Um, I love bass. You know, we talk about bass a lot. Some of you, it's different, but we love bass here. Mike and I have this conversation often. Josh and I have this conversation often. Is the bass loud enough? Can you feel it? No, then it's not loud enough. (laughs) But we're going to look at that bass section as the intermediate heaven. Here's the whole context of what Jesus said to that um, thief on a cross. He says, one of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffs, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. And it's funny because what he didn't realize is by hanging there, Jesus was offering him salvation. But he was not looking to heaven. He was looking to this life. He said, come down from the cross and save us for this little bit of miserable time that we have left. That's very short-sighted. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. 
Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, the intermediate heaven, or as you could call it, the temporary heaven. It's temporary, but it's been 2,000 years so far, but it's temporary. That's where I go when I die, is paradise. To be with Jesus, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Just like Jesus told the thief, I will be with him in paradise when I die. Um, So that base section, that's the intermediate heaven. But it doesn't stay there. It doesn't end there. The next is the, the millennial kingdom. Jesus said, remember, even when he was talking to them about preparing a place, he says, I'm going to come back for you. And he's preparing this place after his second coming. He's going to come back for us so that we live with him. And I'm not getting into all the details, but remember we talked about the groom is coming back for his bride someday. The millennial kingdom was promised all throughout the Old Testament to the Old Testament saints. They didn't know all the details. All they knew it was going to be this golden age where the Messiah ruled and reigned. And there was this kingdom age because the king was here. They didn't know all the details. Here's what we need to know for now. Jesus is coming back. It tells us he's coming back with the church to set up his kingdom. The king, you say, but isn't the kingdom now? The kingdom is a little bit now because the king is here in our hearts. But there will be a time when he's here physically and there will be a kingdom set up. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read a couple verses from Revelation 20. Um, not on the screen. And when I read that, I need a little bit of help and interaction. When you hear me read a thousand years, I want you to say, how long? Okay? So let's practice. A thousand years. Okay, you really didn't listen to me because I said I had to read it and I wasn't really reading it. (laughs) I'm kidding. Okay, You, you got what you're supposed to do? Okay. Now, that means when, when you say how long, I might answer you. I'm not reading it then, so we don't have to just keep doing that as an echo forever. Okay, you get that. I know. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. It's Revelation 20. With the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon. And so we know who this is. He, he goes into detail. He sees the dragon, that old serpent reminding us of the Garden of Eden, who is the devil Satan, he says all those things to to let us know, here's who we're talking about here. And he bound him in chains for a thousand years. A thousand years. You don't have to say it again. You're good. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked. So you get the picture. He's in there. It's chained up. It's shut and locked. So Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished thousand years. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus, for the proclaiming of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his statue or accepted his mark on their forehead or their hands. And I believe it's talking about tribulation period, but we don't have to worry about that right now. It says, they all came to life again those ones who had been killed because of their testimony for Jesus, they came to life again and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. A thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. A thousand years. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. 
For them, the second death holds no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him a thousand years. A thousand years. Now, I didn't read it. I just said it. I'm kidding. You see, here's what's happening. It's mentioned, we, we've actually mentioned this in a couple passages we read. It talks about, um, here, here's how I like to say it, because this is kind of like how Scripture says it. Everybody's born once. And remember we read, we're all destined to die. So we're born once, we're all destined to die once. But here's the thing. If you're born once, you die twice. Because we're all destined to die. And so we will die. That's the first one. When they are then resurrected, judged, and thrown into the lake of fire, the Bible calls that the second death. And the second death holds no power over people who know Jesus. So if you're born once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. We are all born, but we need to be born again, like John 3 says. We need to be born from above. That's what it means to accept Jesus as our Savior, to turn from our sins and turn to Jesus. So if you're born once, you die twice, and that's forever. But if you're born twice, death only touches you once and then never again. So this center section where I'm at, we have the first section there, Hades. We have the second section, Paradise. This is now a new section because it's different now. Um, it's here on earth for a thousand years for this center section. It's the millennial kingdom. How long is it? A thousand years. We know that because it says it once or twice. And it even says it a few times after that. It says that. Um, so that's where we're here with Jesus when the bride of Christ comes back with Jesus. That's the second coming. And we're here with him in this peaceful rule for a thousand years on earth. Now that brings us to the final place, the eternal heaven. And that starts where this ends, and it goes on forever, through eternity. From center to infinity and beyond. <laughs> that's the eternal heaven. So again, the verses I read, that's not the only place it talks about this, but they do describe it well. But I want to read from Revelation 21. Um, this is where it describes it best, and, and I love what it says here, in, starting in Revelation 21. So this is after that millennial reign. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone. It doesn't mean there's no bodies of water there. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about that later. It's fascinating. And, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I think that's the place that he went to prepare for us because it's big and it has many rooms and he went to prepare a place for us there. But it comes down like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. In verse 3, And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. You see, heaven was never about us permanently going there. It was about him coming here and being in this perfect place. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. That's what we have waiting for us. 
What we experience here can be just a small taste of that. It can be like a Hershey bar. And I hope as we read some of the things that we do out of God's word that you get that little taste and you realize as good as this is, there's more coming. (laughs) It's bigger. And we're going to open our eyes to something amazing. And I'm hoping that the little things that we touch on give you a little better framework to hang your hopes on, to help you set your hearts on heaven a little bit better, or maybe to help you choose it as your destination by choosing Jesus while you have your chance in this life. Because we only get that chance here. You don't get to make that decision then. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That's what it says. So when that day comes and we close our eyes for the final time here, we open them in the land of glory, face to face with Jesus. And I want all of you not only wishing and dreaming and hoping about it now, but I want all of you there. I'd like you to stand as we get ready. We're going to pray before the closing song. Father, I know that sometimes we just think so small and and we don't think that, that there's anything we can know about heaven so we don't think about it and all we do is we focus on this life and this life becomes um, something that it was never intended to be where we place all our hopes. We know that our hope is in you. We know that we have a living hope in heaven and that can fuel the way we live this life so this life can actually be better and have more passion and we can get glimpses of what it's like and what it's going to be like and it can fire us to live this life the best that we can knowing that it's just preparation for the next. Father, I know that as Jesus said, he's gone to prepare a place for us and I pray, Father, that everybody here would be ready for that, not by doing better, but by realizing it's only through Jesus, turning from their sin, turning to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, allowing him to change them from the inside out. Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The climax of history will be the creation of a new heavens and a new earth a resurrected universe inhabited by resurrected people living with a resurrected Jesus. I want all of you there and I want you having a passion for it now because it changes our now by focusing on the eternal. And if you don't know Jesus, remember the default destination is not heaven. Default destination is hell. God doesn't send anyone to hell. You choose it by not choosing Jesus. If you've never chosen Jesus, today is your day. In simple faith, just turn to him and say, Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner. What you did on the cross paid for my sin, and I want that. You're the way, the truth, and the life. I want that. I want you in my life. If you want somebody to pray with you, all you have to do is make your way to the back corner there. There's a room that has a glass window and a glass door. Somebody will be there to pray with you, to to share with you um, the truth. I don't want anybody not knowing for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. And when I close my eyes here for the final time, I open them in glory, face to face with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for um, loving us enough to not leave us where we were but sending Jesus so that we could have that relationship with you through him by placing our faith and trust and life and everything into Jesus, we could become children of God. 
we could have the assurance that we get meaning and purpose in life today, forgiveness from all of our past, and a living hope for the future. Father, thank you for that. My prayer is that anyone who does not know that for sure would make certain of that today, make that choice today, and begin living in the light of eternity. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. One, two.